Welcome back to a special correspondence edition of Off the Record with former members of the State Capitol Press Corps, including Kathy Hoffman, John Lindstrom, David Waymeyer, and Eric Friedman. Sit in with us as we get the inside out. Off the Record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Thank you very much. Welcome back to this pre-recorded edition of Off the Record as we are recording on the Friday last uh, because of we couldn't get in the studio today. Anyway, we do have, and I've been looking forward to this show, we have former members of the Capitol Press Corps who used to sit around this table and then they abandoned me. They went off and did something other, and took with them, check this out guys, 88 years of political coverage experience on this panel right here. Eric, why did you bail? I went on strike with the newspaper unions, and I ended up uh, freelancing for a year, and then I joined the MSU Journalism faculty full-time and haven't looked back. Waymire, Mr. David. You know, I was uh, interested in becoming a city editor at some point. I thought that was my destiny, and then on to be an editor, and uh, just didn't seem to be happening at the speed that I was interested in making it happen. So I uh, chose a different path and moved into public relations, and Tom Shields was Nice enough to give me an opportunity. Kathy. The newspaper industry was really shrinking uh, by the time I left in uh, 2012. And um, it just seemed like a good time to move along and try another career. So moved into public relations. Were you burned out? No, I wasn't burned out. I But, you know, we, the staffs had shrunk and there were fewer people to help. And it was just kind of an overwhelming amount of things to cover in my estimate. So... I figured it was time to move on. Overworked and underpaid. It was, great, it was a great career. <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, John, I almost called you Jingles. John, uh, why did you bail, man? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been a reporter. I've been an editor. I've been a publisher. I was lucky enough to be in one of the few parts of journalism that wasn't struggling the way the rest of the industry was. Um, but I also had reached a point where it was time for the boomer to walk away and let the Gen Xers take over and uh, the millennials take over. So I retired from the day to day, but I'm still doing stuff on the side. Well, did, did, none of, did any of you think I, I am walking away from a job where I have experience and in journalism experience, David, does count for something, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Although I would argue also that so does changing people around. Yeah, I think, you know, I've said before, I think on this show, even a few years ago that there might be some value in term limits for reporters, present company accepted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, just because it is so hard to stay fresh on a certain beat. But yeah, experience is really important. And quite frankly, as we look around at the local papers and, and even the statewide papers, um, you know, that experience is lacking in a lot of areas, both in terms of reporting and more importantly, I think, in terms of editors that can help young reporters and even more experienced reporters learn their way around town learn what's a good story, what's not a story, how to improve a story, that type of thing. That's just gone. Eric, what about the experience thing? Well, I don't want to say it's overrated, but it is nice sometimes to have fresh eyes come in. If you're the editor, you're working with <clears throat> a fresh talent, there's a lot to teach, everything from style to professionalism. At the same time, 
they're not jaded by, oh, I know this guy's been lying in the in the Senate for decades, and I know this guy's been lying in the department, and this commissioner you can't trust, and this mayor. That, that cynicism, I don't think the new reporters come in with. They may develop it because cynicism and skepticism are important tools or weapons for journalists. So that's why newspapers and other news organizations change people on beats, even when they're not bringing new people in. Kathy, do you agree with these guys? Well, I think, you know, experience does help because you do have, you can put things in context more. And I think being able to put things in context is um, very important. It's, it's something that we kind of are losing today with, you know, everybody just tweeting things out on social media um, where you see one thing, you don't see the total context. But I would have to say, I learn a lot from our younger staff members. Um, I did when I was a journalist. I certainly do as a PR practitioner. Um, the ways we're communicating uh, are changing all the time. And um, I think, you know, newer, younger people are, are quick to adapt and quick to teach those of us who are a little slower. And I think that's a good thing. Do politicians take advantage of reporters who are inexperienced? Oh, I think sure. they try to, but, uh, you know, that I don't think we have a very inexperienced Capitol press corps right now, though. I think we've got some really talented people that have been there for a while and, and have, you know, do know what's going on and, and who can't be trusted. And uh, so, and, you know, one thing that I always loved about the Capitol Press Corps is you could learn by going to the news conferences from the other reporters around you. So you listen to the questions they asked and you listen to what they drilled down on. And, um, you know, I think that still goes on right now. John, I remember former Representative Lynn Jondahl once said to me one day, Skubik, he says, this is really great. I've got all these new reporters who are coming in and asking me what questions they want me to answer. That is a politician's dream come true, is it not, sir? In many respects, yeah, um, and and it is it is difficult. We we do have very good reporters working in the press corps, but the but the press corps nationally overall is trending younger and younger. And um, and there's the only thing wrong with that is there's a lot of stuff to learn. And as good as experience is, everyone else has also pointed out you've got to have the ability to to pick up and learn and add to what you're knowing. That's one of the disadvantages of, of journalism in one respect is you kind of, got to, kind of have to be a five minute expert. If somebody uh, contacts you on something, you got to find out about it as fast as you can. And, and in other words, you need to learn enough to be dangerous. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, Lynn, Lynn is absolutely right. And, and it is one thing that I've always told reporters, if you're going to get involved in a beat on anything, it doesn't matter what it is, business, science, sports, you got to spend a minimum of a couple of years following it, working at it, learning about it. I mean, talking to people, reading all that you can. Uh, and that's true in, in, uh, in covering the legislature and state government as well. David, what's different? You know, to I don't think, Tim, yeah. Tim I, I don't think the issue is really experience, especially with our current press corps. We have some really good people that do a really good job. I think the issue is more their numbers, which are down dramatically, the size of the news hole that they have to write to, so their stories are prescribed dramatically, and uh, and the editors that are have moved on um, because there's just really been a trend. If you're 55 and in the newspaper business these days, or almost any part of journalism, 
you're you're a dinosaur and they try to broom you out to save money. Um, you know, it's pretty clear that we have some really talented reporters, um, but they're, they just don't have a way to get the, a lot of things that they're doing out and they pick and choose their stories. We see more people doing long form stories. Uh, the day-to-day stuff isn't covered. And quite frankly, part of that is, you know, is in a capitalistic system, you search for eyeballs uh, and uh, the research is very clear. State news isn't very well appreciated unless it's involves scandal or something that is really, uh, you know, kind of eyeball uh, catching. And that's really unfortunate. And I think it's even worse, quite frankly, at the local newspaper level. That's where I think the rubber is really, really hitting the road uh, in terms of, of problems with uh, folks not really getting information they need to be able to make good decisions in a democracy. Eric, all of us sitting around this table uh, uh, virtually remember when at one time the Detroit News Bureau had, was it 13 people? What was the number? We had 13, 13 people, including a full-time columnist, George Weeks, a full-time photographer. We had a librarian in the, in the bureau, and we were sometimes tripping over each other because the beats were so narrowly defined. You, you guys also but, had a bartender, didn't you? <laughs> that was the librarian. Oh, that was the librarian. It was bartender slash librarian. I got it. Okay. So that, but, that, but, yeah, that... What that does is it gives you... When there's a disaster, remember that there was a plane that crashed on Middle Belt, and like everybody could go and do different angles on it. Or if there's a complicated issue, like we're seeing with voting rights over time, there's an institutional memory. You don't have in a newsroom with one or two people who are, even if they've been there for, for a long time. And then we were able to do things that the smaller bureaus couldn't do. We could look at the agencies. We could have somebody in the House and somebody in the Senate and somebody following the governor and somebody covering ag and ag business, somebody covering social services, the attorney general, the prison system. So we were competing for that news hole that Dave was referring to, but the news hole was bigger. And we had a prestige to the Bureau. It was a destination for aspiring reporters. They may not have wanted to spend their entire career in this isolated outpost but we saw that but we see the same thing so we see the same things in illinois oh you're working for chicago paper and you're stuck in springfield or you're at the la paper and you, what's sacramento it's it's dry and hot in the summertime and it's not near the wine country so having that large force ap used to have uh, four people including a full-time photographer the free press had three, four, five. We had significant collective, uh, individual and collective across agency uh, coverage there, and we could chase each other, but we could also do things that the others couldn't do because we had enough personnel to do it. So, Kathy, well, when, when I was at the, you go ahead. When David. I was at the booth bureau, when I was at the booth bureau, we had seven people, and we were responsible for covering things that happened in the state. But also the papers, that was a group of eight newspapers all around the state. If they had a particular legislator they wanted us to follow that day or do a story on, we could go out and do that and serve the needs of those newspapers um, in a very specific way. And more, not the needs of the newspapers, the needs of those readers. Um, Now, you know, quite frankly, most people have no clue who their state legislator is, that state legislators skate by with pathetic records by and large, uh, uh, many of them. Uh, they, you know, take extreme positions that if their constituents actually knew what they were doing, uh, wouldn't be supportive of. 
and they just answer to a very slim group of voters, a very slim group of special interests, again, because we don't have enough people here to really kind of deliver down to the local level, um, the Saginaw News, the Ann Arbor News, the Bay City Times. We don't have the ability to, the, the Booth newspaper reporters here, the M Live reporters here, don't have the time, don't have the staff, and quite frankly, the papers seem not to have the size of the news hole to provide them with a space to do that type of important journalism. Kathy, part of what's going, go ahead, Kath. I, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to argue, no matter if I was at the Lansing State Journal or the Detroit News or running the AP Bureau where I had, you know, I covered the governor, I had a full-time person in the House, full-time person in the Senate, another person who was doing other stuff around the Capitol. People didn't know who their state legislators were then either. I mean, it, it, it it's good. I think I agree. There's less coverage. Um, I think the reason that People are feeling like they can take more extreme positions. It's not because there's less news coverage. It's because this is where politics are these days. And if you're more extreme, you actually get more coverage, not less. So I don't think that I'm just going to disagree with Dave, even though we, we work together. Um, well, you did up until say, now. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. A little early retirement, maybe. But, um, but I don't think people pay attention to things unless you can tell them why it affects them. I mean, I think... You know, if you're, you're going to pick up a newspaper and see that, oh, I'm this is the reason I have six hundred dollars more in my checking account today is the federal government is giving me money for my kids. OK, that affects me directly. Most people aren't paying attention to anything that state government is doing otherwise or, or even the federal government. It just they're they're back to being busy. And I think that that's the way it's always been. And I don't know that it's going to change. I do agree the news hole is smaller. But I also agree that people have less attention span and they're also getting their news in other non-traditional ways. So, you know, the market has created this problem for a reason. Well, Kathy brings up a, a very good point. Journalism has a lot of crises right now, but probably the biggest crisis overall is that the public doesn't feel they need journalism. And uh, and, and that is quite, re, uh, quite realistically a very frightening situation. There is ample research to show uh, the very practical effect of not having journalism. Dave talked about the, the, stru the struggle with local journalism. There's been a, a study published some years ago that showed that if a local newspaper died, the people in the community where the local newspaper was, their taxes go up. And, and it's, it's a direct one-to-one -one situation. Why do the taxes go up? Because nobody's following city government. Because no one's following city government, city government becomes less efficient. Well, somebody's following city government, and those are the bond rating houses. And when the city government goes to borrow money, because every city government does, the bond rating agencies give them a poor rating. And that means that their interest rates are higher, and that goes directly to the taxpayers. They pay more. So that's just on, on one basis of one-to-one. -one. But there are so many other studies that look at the effect that the loss of journalism is having on our overall civic culture. We are less tolerant of each other. We are unable to have a, a conversation where we don't come to blows in part. We're not exposed in a calm fashion to other points of view. We're not allowed to see other the facts going into various things. Now, historically, politics was once our major entertainment. You know, you go back 200 years, we didn't have a theater, we didn't really have literature. So what did you do for fun? You went... You went to the Lincoln-Douglas debate. You couldn't get four people, the four or five people sitting around this table. Well, you could get the four or five people sitting around this table, theoretically sitting around the table, to go to the Lincoln-Douglas debate, but you couldn't get anybody else go to now. 
So we have to find a way as an industry for our own survival and for the survival, I think, of the country to get people interested in what journalism can and should do. The, one of the things somebody told me, in, and I won't name the news outlet, but there's a board that all the reporters look up at and all the columns and articles are there and there are numbers behind. David, you know where I'm going with this? Uh, explain yeah, to the me. the Lansing State Journal. I'll be, you know, I, we've been in the Lansing State Journal newsroom. They track eyeballs. They track what people want. This is capitalism and newspaper, newspapering and but journalism. So does, so does the Detroit News. Every one of the... So I'm just what? saying, so does Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press and every one of the M eight MLive papers. Um, in fact, MLive went to it first. Um, so I agree. They are looking at eyeballs, but it's industry-wide. But much why, why are they doing this? Why, wait, why are, wait a minute. Why are we seeing how many hits a story is getting? Why, do we do, why are we doing this? Because it's about advertising. And that's why you see a model like Bridge Michigan kind of changing the, changing the discussion. And they have are getting support from individual subscribers, not advertisers. Their subscribers are people who are interested in um, their and it's voluntary donations. Um, and they're those are people that are interested in the kind of news that's being out there. And they help subsidize that for others who are not putting in money in. So, Eric, are you model? Go ahead. Yeah. Advertising revenue is down dramatically. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. last year, for the first time, circulation revenue outpaced advertising revenue for newspapers. And so when you see what everyone's talking about, they're, they're going for eyeballs. They're trying to find the stories which will bring readers and therefore bring revenue to that publication and in many respects also to the broadcast network. And every one of us can tell you what those stories are going to be that people are going to look at. They're about sex and death. You know, you want to talk and about football. water rates? No, they're not going to. They're not going to read that crap. You know, come on. They want to read about. They want to read about. I mean, the perfect example with with the State Journal was when the Larry Nasser uh, crisis had had hit. Uh, the hits on those things. People talked about going into the newsroom and just seeing the hits on the Larry Nasser stories off the roof, where nobody was looking at anything else. Well, so well, it's also a matter of resources because there are far fewer reporters in newsrooms these days. And if you are a news editor, whether you're at a broadcast outlet or whether you're at a newspaper, you have to decide the, the paper, the stories that are going to be of most interest to your readers at any given day. And so, yeah, Larry Nasser was of interest, not just here, but nationally. Um, and I think that, you know, you only have so many reporters. There's you know, Lansing State Journal is down to hardly anybody. And same thing is happening, you know, has happened with the Detroit News and the Free Press. Uh, I regularly try to get a hold of somebody at the Saginaw News or the Bay City Times, and I don't even know how to reach somebody there. And I know that there's probably not very many reporters anyway. So it's um, it just, you know, it comes down to a scarcity argument. And there's always been more stories than there's been reporters, but it's, it's, uh, you know, you really do have to figure out what you're going to put your resources into. And if it's some sort of, you know, city hall story on some arcane topic that, you know, your readers aren't going to care about, well, you as a news editor really aren't going to be doing that. So the challenge to us in PR these days is finding the stories that reporters still can actually get their editors to agree to say, yeah, that's important enough. Let's go do that one. Eric, let's just play this out here for a second and not get too uh, too lordy over this thing. But if we if we play this out, uh, we're going to have people that are going to follow politics 
and they are concerned about what's happening in the legislature and in the Congress. And then you have people, as you've suggested here rather in insightfully, just don't give a hoot. Are we headed for kind of an intellectual political uh, segregation of, of, of what we are? Uh, we're already a divided country. Now we could be divided along knowledge lines. Well, I think that's always been the case because we had fewer resources uh, for the readers. So you grew up in Detroit area, you had a choice of two daily papers or you lit Oakland Press or the, or the Macomb Daily. You didn't have all these other sources of political and non-political news that flood us. They literally flood my inbox with the advisories, the <coughs> alerts, uh, for, I, and I get them from national news, I get international, and I get a variety from the state. So you no longer have to thumb through the whole paper. You're interested only in sports, but if a physical paper you're looking through to get to the sports section, oh, well, there's a story about potholes on the freeway, or there's a story about COVID, and you might glance at it, you might actually read it, but if you're not getting something that's a physical product or you're not sitting in front of the 6 o'clock news, you're going to look only at that sports website, or you're going to look at a political website, you're going to look at The Hill or Politico, and you have more control of your own knowledge as a consumer of news because you have these niche websites, niche online newsletters that you can turn to, and there you, what, it, that narrows down the information you get about things going on in business or foreign relations or Afghanistan. You know, and what's I think also interesting is many of those sources, quite frankly, are not vetted very well. Uh, you know, and you have the situation where, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson is sued for libel. And uh, the newspaper's defense is that, you know, he's not actually stating actual facts. It's all exaggeration and non-literal commentary. That's what his lawyers said. Don't believe anything that this guy tells you. And yet he's probably the most powerful journalist in the country right now in a lot of crazy, weird ways. Well, we've also divided the audience, uh, uh, John, that they're going to the news outlet that reinforces their personal beliefs. Is there anything worse that could happen to our democracy than that? Uh, well, yeah, we could, we, could, <laughs> we could have a civil war that ends up with <laughs> nukes dropping. Um, but it, it is... It is sad. It is incredibly sad um, that we we have become so polarized. Uh, technology plays a lot to do with it. Um, just because it is, as as uh, Eric and David pointed out, you know, you don't have to know what's going on in the world when you had a newspaper or when you turned on the six o'clock news. You had to, even if you all you wanted to see about was the sports, you had to wait. You had to get through the the news and the weather before you got to sports. Um, and and we have we have seen ourselves dissolve more and more into our various tribes, and uh, and and that's something that has always been a great risk. Um, and one thing that, in many respects, we as a country were able to get out of uh, compared to other nations. And I I wish I could say I, I I could think of a way to 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 end that, but for the time being, we know that uh, you have, for example, political party, which seems to have come down to: Are you loyal to America? Or are you loyal to Donald Trump? 
And, and that's the decision that, that, that they're trying to make. And, and you would hope that they're loyal to America, but an awful lot of people seem to be seem to have said, no, uh, Donald Trump is the person to whom all happens. And we have seen the creation of a specialized media to enforce that. And, and that is something that is not completely new because it always kind of existed if you had access to a printing press, but technology has made it enormously popular and powerful. Kathy, what happens when all of us who were intellectually engaged are dead and gone? Will the young people be able to carry the cudgel as we move forward to preserve the democracy? Well, I think all of us certainly hope so. But, um, you know, as somebody who has 30 and 34-year-old children and grandchildren, um, you know, I'm optimistic. I mean, I think that watching this past election, we have seen young people get more involved than they've ever been before. I mean, in unprecedented numbers. And um, and I think they really do care. Uh, they care about climate change. They care about equity. They care about racial justice. They care about, um, you know, things that, like you said, we as older adults get kind of locked into our preconceptions and our friendships and our own circles. And I think that many, many people are much more open um, to just diversity. They don't think much about diversity. It's just part of their lives these days. And uh, and so I think that's great. I think that, um, you know, obviously they're not all lined up one way or the other. We have a whole spectrum of, of people um, at that age that are all along the political spectrum. But I do think that you certainly can't say that we had, you know, the boomers had any great, great knowledge. I mean, we're, we're big and we've been powerful our entire lives, but um, I have a lot of faith in the younger people. Eric, very quickly, you're teaching these kids. Are you buoyed by the fact that they're engaged? I'm buoyed by the fact that not only are they engaged, but many of them want careers that follow more or less traditional journalistic values and techniques and practices, even if the media that they're reporting for are the new media that may or may not be in print. My students love seeing their names, their bylines, on stories they wrote in newspapers that subscribe to our Capital News Service across the state. All right, they I, love them. I got to get out of here. All right. Yeah. Is there any way I can entice any of you back to off the record? Any volunteers? <laughs> we'll see who's left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want us, but yeah. It's, it's great so. to see you guys. Uh, be well. Have a safe weekend. Appreciate you talking to me again. I do miss all of you, sincerely. See you next week. More off the record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. For more Off the Record, visit wkar.org. Michigan public television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.